The Rubicon has been crossed as the Democrats go nuclear, indicting Donald Trump in a brazen attempt to influence the 2024 election. Can our economy even survive two more years under Joe Biden? We'll tell you about some very troubling news involving the dollar and why the elites may want to switch to crypto. Plus, transgender terror in Nashville. It's time to reframe the narrative about this troubling mental illness. Do you identify as a patriot? Well, then come along. We're going on a midnight ride. Let's go. It's Monday, April 3rd, 2023, and you're listening to your home for misinformation and disinformation, also known as The Truth, the Midnight Ride podcast with Connor Coughlin and Paul Runyon. And normally this is the time of the show where I tell you guys to keep sharing with all like-minded conservatives, yada, yada, yada. But Paul's been gone for almost two, well, two shows, but he was on spring break for a week and a half in the great state of Hawaii, and I want to hear all about it. Paul, how you been? Do you like, you like tent encampments? I'm from California. I left there, so no. Well, then don't go to Hawaii. That was the most surprising thing I've seen. I told the Midnight Riders about it, because remember we talked and I said that, you know, you'd said both islands, right? Yeah, both islands. I saw, I didn't see, I didn't see 10 encampments on the big island. I don't think street bums like to hang out next to active volcanoes, but, (laughs) but on both Maui and Oahu on the beach, you know, there's just these lines of tents. And what's funny is, you know, there's a sign that says no camping. And of course, <laughs> all the tents are all around the sign. I have a feeling if Clark Griswold and family decided to go for a camp on that beach, if they didn't accidentally step on a hypodermic needle, uh, the police would probably drive them away. So that sign should have said no camping unless you're a street bum. Yeah, I mean, there and there apparently were a lot of them. I just learned that uh, in my home state, the Golden State, which has 12% of America's population, 75% of America's homeless are in the Golden State. I, I have to imagine, Paul, that a good percentage of that other 25 might have made their way to Hawaii. I know that a lot of mental health professionals actually put people in Buffalo and other freezing cities on buses. Maybe they're putting them on planes and cruise ships. I know. And I mean, Hawaii, obviously, if living in a tent, the weather there's good. You don't need the, the heat in the winter or anything. And of course, it's a extremely liberal blue state with esteemed Senator Hirono and uh, some others there that, you know, we think so highly of. And I, they just invite them in. It's the same mentality as California. Yeah. Very surprised by that. You know, I knew it was liberal leaning state deep blue state. I just did not think that I would see the homeless people. And all over Honolulu, which is a pretty big city, by the way, all over the streets, there's bums walking around and drug addicts and everything. The whole thing was kind of surreal. Well, I imagine that's going to hurt their tourism industry. But otherwise, how how was your vacation? Great time. We really enjoyed it. A good time to get away during spring break. Kids really enjoyed it. And we had a great time. It was, I, I liked it. You left America, the America you knew. You came back to a totally different country, and I'm not overstating this. The indictment by the Manhattan Grand Jury, District Attorney Alvin Bragg, of former President Donald Trump, the first time in the history of the republic that a president has been indicted for alleged crimes committed. The Rubicon has been crossed. The Democrats, if you thought the Mar-a-Lago raid was bad— And obviously, Joe Biden had his own problems with classified documents after that. This is that times a million. Words cannot express how game-changing this is, probably for the election, but just for civility in our our nation as a whole. I wanted to get your thoughts on, on this indictment that came down on Thursday. Well, I think you know, and everybody knows that listens to The Midnight Ride, you and I are no fans of Donald Trump. We will acknowledge good president. Yes. good. Pre- I would say good president for the first two years, horrible president once COVID hit. But that's, that's my opinion. Um, everybody's entitled to their own. And horrible president for the last couple months of his administration since he was defeated 
as a lame duck president, he really poured gasoline on a lot of things. But good president, and as you will see in our second segment, a lot of people are going to start pining for the age of Donald Trump. We are obviously fans of Ron DeSantis. Paul, did this, I mean, is this 3D chess by the Democrats, or is this a mistake that they will rue for all eternity? Let's talk about the case first, because I really want to get to the bottom of this. The indictment, the news right now, and this is as of midnight Monday, is that there are supposed to be about 30 counts. The indictment has not been unsealed. 30 counts? Yeah, 30 counts. We don't know what those counts are. So, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the counts are going to be. They're supposed sources say, obviously unnamed sources in mainstream media, so you can take that with a grain of salt, says there's going to be at least one felony count in there. One of the the things that's really interesting about this is they're focusing on this payment to Stormy Daniels. This is a, a New York law which makes it a misdemeanor to misclassify business expenses. So for example, if you're you own a business and you file your taxes, you take all the expenses from the business and you have to divide it up. That could be utilities like paying the power bill, paying the internet, could be meals, could be travel, could be legal expenses. These would be classified as maybe business expenses, like Trump Incorporated might have a ledger that details all of these expenses, right? Exactly. Theoretically, what what people are are saying is going to be in this indictment is that they misclassified the payment to Stormy Daniels as a legal expense. Now, I think looking at all the evidence, the payment went to his former lawyer, Michael Cohen. I think it was a $400,000 payment, 150,000 of which went to Stormy Daniels for to, you know, as sort of hush money for this supposed affair. Now, hush money is not illegal, first of all. You know, if somebody works for you and you and you have a severance, you give them money, they sign an agreement saying they're not going to disparage the company. That's essentially what that is. So I'm not sure how you would classify that necessarily, but it did go through the lawyer. So I, I'm not a lawyer and I don't know New York law, but it sounds like a dubious charge. Well, it's it's very dubious for one main reason is in 2016, we all knew about this. It was talked about. So to charge him several years later, oh, by the way, what's the statute of limitations on a misdemeanor like this? I think it's four years or something. So it's, I mean, this happened before the statute of limitations. I think somehow Alvin Bragg and Letitia James, the, the Soros mafia there in New York, had worked to ex- to get an exemption or or extend the statute, something like that, for this. So Th- this is just obvious politicization of the office, as you pointed out. He was given a huge amount of campaign funding from George Soros, and this is, I think, in my opinion, an attempt to guarantee that Donald Trump and not Ron DeSantis or someone else that they don't think they can beat. Because, you know, Biden's approval ratings right now are at the lowest of his presidency. The economy is about to get much, much worse. We'll get into that later in the show. They want Trump because they know they can beat Trump, even with Biden, or at least they think they can. Exactly. That's, I mean, Trump, if you look at the polls now, Trump's behind Biden right now, I think by two points in a national poll where DeSantis is polling ahead of Biden. Look, there was this happened in 2020. All of suburban women that abandoned Donald Trump in 2020 are not going to all of a sudden come back to him in 2024, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. That's what they're banking on. Exactly. And if you look at uh, Letitia James and and Alvin Bragg, I mean, these these guys were running. I mean, the attorney general, she was running saying, you know, her whole campaign was, I'm going to get Trump in jail. I'm going to find something on him and I'm going to put Trump in jail and he's a criminal. I mean, this harkens back to the Joseph, Joseph Stalin, you find me a person and I'll find you the crime. Yeah. I mean, Donald Trump might be the only guy that they put in jail for their term. It seems like in New York City, all sorts of violent offenders are being let go as soon as the police bring, faster than they can, the police can bring them in. So New York is, is a hellscape of violent crime, which is spiking. 
the district attorney is not only doing very little about it, he seems to be doing everything he can to keep a revolving door at these police precincts, and yet they want to indict Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump will be arraigned next week somehow in Manhattan, and this is what they want. They want the media circus. They want Mr. Trump brought in with CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, everybody rolling. That footage will be looped from now, perhaps until eternity, but certainly until Donald Trump is defeated in the election. Is this going to help Trump? I mean, do you think this helps him win the nomination or lose the nomination? I think it helps him win the nomination. And I don't think it hurts him in the general election. I just think, as you pointed out, the num the deck is stacked against him. Remember, in 2022, in those midterms, the Democrats were throwing money at people like Don Boldick and, uh, you know, Dr. Oz. They, they were betting on the Trump candidates. They were actually funding a lot of Trump nominees in key races that Democrats would go on to win in the midterms. They know the Trump brand cannot win in the purple states. I mean, how much do they want? I mean, the GOP, if I'm the GOP right now, I mean, they're all up there defending Trump and saying how egregious it is. And we all agree that it is. I mean, this is obviously a political persecution, but the GOP just really, they don't want Trump to run. Let's be honest. I mean, they want Trump exiting, being the, the statesman and, you know, letting some of these other politicians have a shot that really have a chance at winning. Well, they do, but they've been put in a very tough spot here. You got to be furious at the Democrats for doing this. Was it even a crime? Probably not. Did it occur so much, so long ago that the statute of limitations has expired? Yes. Is this an attempt to influence the 24 election? Yes. But the Republicans now, they're seeing a, Trump's approval ratings go up because Trump is now the victim, which is what everybody wants in America these days. As soon as those mug shots hit, I think his numbers are going to go through the roof. But if you look at the numbers where it matters, Pennsylvania, we talk about these places all the time, Georgia, Nevada, is it going to be enough to move the needle? I don't know. That's what I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so either. The worst thing that could happen is for Biden to get reelected. I mean, the, Trump looks great because Biden looks so terrible. I mean, Biden's the worst president in history. He, he is. It's obvious what he's done to this country, and we need to find a way to defeat him. And Trump is just, his ego is so big that he just has to run and he has to do this. I mean, beyond this, we talked about this maybe six months ago. I think we went over all of the different possible charges against Trump and all the different investigations uh, that are ongoing. There's still a case out there in Georgia, in Fulton County, when um, during the election, when Trump called the the Secretary of State and said, find me 20,000 votes yeah, um, yeah, or whatever it was. Whatever the number was, yeah. That is a much more serious case. That's a case that he really could get in a lot of trouble for. That's a case that a lot of Americans would would look at and say, okay, that's legitimate. Let's see that. Nobody believes this, this sham case in Manhattan, but they would believe that case in Georgia, or if at least not believe it. Except for my mom and your mom. They probably think it's a great case, right? Because Well, they, they do. Told. We were told by Rachel Maddow that all of the leftists are just laughing with glee, giggling with glee, and they're just waiting for that mugshot. They can't wait for it. I know. But it's, it's, it's a fake thing. Um, that Georgia case would have been a better thing to pursue. Maybe they still will. As for Ron DeSantis, what I think he needs to do, and I don't know in the media space if he can break out with this, but remember when Kevin McCarthy, you know, in the run-up to the midterms, he said, when I'm Speaker of the House, I am going to kick, I'm going to kick Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff and, and Ilhan Omar off their committees. He's done that. And he, he made a number of pledges that he would do. And these would be, these were things that were shot in Freud for the Democrats, things that they had done, ground that they had broken. Remember, Nancy Pelosi kicked Marjorie Taylor Greene off a committee and didn't allow the, you know, Jim Jordan and others onto the, the January 6th show trial. DeSantis needs to come out and say, if elected and if there is criminal wrongdoing proven by the Biden family in selling influence to the White House, I'm going to put Joe Biden in jail. I'm going to put Hunter Biden in jail. The, the uncle, I forget what the uncle's name is. I guarantee you a lot of these MAGA types 
would love to hear that. Is that enough for him? Because everybody else in the Republican Party is with DeSantis, but it's that, as uh, Nikki Haley said last week, Trump's got a hard 25% that quite literally, as he said one time, if I shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, they'd still vote for me. The problem is that he, with that 25% in a primary that has a lot of different candidates in it, the real risk is splitting the vote. I mean, I think DeSantis can beat Trump in the primary, but it's not going to happen if people like Nikki Haley or Glenn Youngkin or Josh Hawley or any of these other people announce, and then you've got 15 candidates in Trump. Trump's getting 25% regardless. But DeSantis is very popular. He has a great record to run on in Florida. I don't know if you've seen some of the bills that have been passed in Florida in the last few days. They approved permitless concealed carry. So you don't have to have a concealed permit anymore to carry in the state of Florida. They Do they call that constitutional carry or something like that? Yeah, I, constitutional carry, I think, like, includes open carry or something. Oh, okay, okay. Also, so it's just permitless, concealed carry is what it is. There's open carry is still not allowed in Florida. They passed a univer universal school choice legislation for everyone in the state, regardless of income. So everybody will be getting an $8,000 voucher. I got to get down there. Yeah, to attend a uh, faith-based or private school of their choice. I think that's one of the best school choice. That may be the best school choice state in the country now, thanks to Governor DeSantis. Yeah, it is the best school choice state. Um, they are about to pass. Well, they passed the 15-week abortion ban. The Senate just passed uh, the six-week. The Senate now is debating the six-week uh, abortion ban. It's already passed the House, and that should be signed as well. There's exceptions within that for rape, incest, life of the mother, some other things. He's got a great record. He has a great record to point to, and he needs to focus on that. If they can somehow keep this primary on the issues, and yeah. I think DeSantis has a real thing. And because Trump's done nothing since he's been out, but like... No, Donald Trump doesn't want to have the conversation with him about COVID. He doesn't want to have the conversation with him about taking on the woke DEI infrastructure in our schools. DeSantis has done all of that. Trump allowed it to go on. And... Yeah, he doesn't want to have, but he will make up nicknames. He will play the victim. And the Democrats have done this. It helps Trump. So this is how strong, how much does our public understand the way this works? I mean, are we all gullible enough that the nicknames and everything else are going to sway the election? If that's the case, we deserve what we get. I, Donald Trump, again, we talked about it overall, on the whole, was a good president. And what was it, I don't know if it was Maya Angelou or, or who was it that said this, you know, they will forget what you said, they will forget what you did, but they will never forget the way they made you feel. Donald Trump, to a certain segment of Americans, made them feel a certain pride that they hadn't felt in a long time with some of our feckless presidents. I mean, Obama, even George H.W. Bush and others, Trump brought back a certain national pride and, and people will, there's a certain segment you know, maybe it is 25% of the Republican Party that will vote for him no matter what. And that's what the Democrats did here. Their philosophy is by any means necessary. And I think what the Republicans need to do is look at what the Democrats did in 2020. They had a ton of candidates and one populist guy that could not be beat unless everybody dropped out early. And so Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Pompeo, all these, you know, Sununu, all these other people that are going to split that vote, they need to get out early and let DeSantis run. There's enough smart people. There's enough intellectually honest media people that maybe he's got a puncher's shot, but not if it's 10 on one like it was in 2016. Exactly. Yeah, they. it was way too long. And I'm glad he got the nomination because I think he brought a lot of issues to the forefront that were not being discussed in the Republican Party at that time. He renegotiated NAFTA, the tax bill. You know, as you said, the working class of this country was finally spoken to and respected like they should be. Mm -hmm. um, the Republican Party had not been doing that. Donald Trump made the Republican Party the party of the disenfranchised and the little guy. He flipped the switch. If you remember, that population was a Democratic voting bloc until... Forever. Forever, until Trump came around. But Trump did not do enough 
to, you know, he did a lot of good things, but there was so much stuff that he did not take on. He didn't take on the unions, the government employee unions, the teacher unions. DeSantis has taken those on. And will take them on. And will take those on. And he's, he has got to stick to the issues and let the chips fall where they may. And if the Republican Party wants to elect Trump again, then we all deserve to have Joe Biden for another four years. Well, that is going to be very, very bad, as we point out in our next segment, which deals with the strength of the U.S. dollar and America's preeminence as the number one economy. Joe Biden has chipped away at that, and we may now be reaching critical mass. When we come back, is the dollar still number one? It may not be if we keep up another couple years of Joe Biden. Stay tuned for that coming up on The Midnight Ride. Paul, the war in Ukraine has shown that the United States is still a world leader, at least in some circles, as they've led NATO and expanding NATO. And some of the Asian economies like Japan and Korea still follow the lead of the United States. But there are a lot of countries that are very powerful economically, such as Mexico, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, India, that have not denounced Russia for their illegal invasion of Ukraine. And in fact, have been cozying up to the Chinese Communist Party. Just Friday, it was announced that the People's Republic of China and Brazil are going, Brazil, which is, you know, in our hemisphere, one of the most... That's the second largest country in our hemisphere, isn't it? It is, and it's probably, I would say, a top seven economy in the world. Am I overstating that? At least top 10. I'm not sure. No, but I mean, it's big. I mean, it's by far the biggest in South America. And they've gone off the dollar as of Friday, Paul, right? Yeah. I mean, essentially what they've done is they struck a deal so that when China and Brazil do trade, that they will exchange the Brazilian real and Chinese yuan directly. What's happened ever since World War I, really, or I think it's been the 1930s, is that the dollar has been the medium of exchange for all international trade. So what happens is Brazilian reals would get converted into dollars and then converted into Chinese yuan. So there would be one medium of exchange around the world, and that was the U.S. dollar. It used to be gold, and then it became the U.S. dollar. And that has allowed the dollar to be the strongest currency in the world because every country needed to hold dollars in order to do these medium of exchanges. And that makes sense that the United States then would be the world's paramount economy. Exactly. So we are the paramount economy because we're what's called the global reserve currency. If you take that out, right? So Brazil and China, for example, they're trading in their currencies directly without using the dollar as this intermediary. And it's, it's actually the transactions being done by International Commercial Bank of China, ICBC. So they're the ones doing the, the exchange. Then all of a sudden, those countries don't have to hold dollars. They can then sell them. That brings the, the price of the dollar down, begins to collapse our currency, which then causes our spending power, the dollars that we have in our savings accounts that retirees are getting to be worth less. And then it also makes, causes more inflation. So essentially, you know, and this is a tweet from Elon Musk, which I should just make our tweet of the week. I know that you normally do that. Yeah, no, please. But on March 29th, there was a, he had a question about this, about what's happening with the dollar and China sort of trying to get other countries to, to ditch using the dollar as this medium of exchange. And he wrote, serious issue, U.S. policy has been too heavy handed, making countries want to ditch the dollar combined with excess government spending, which forces other countries to absorb a significant part of our inflation. So what's he mean by that? That the, the American Rescue Plan, the Green New Deal light, also known as the Inflation Reduction Act, all of this printing of money that Biden has done has devalued the dollar here in the States, but also abroad, right? Well, exactly. So all these countries holding dollars as a medium of exchange, that dollar is now worth less. So those countries are losing money because they're holding dollars. So why do they want to keep using the dollar as this medium of exchange when the value of that currency is getting inflated away with all of this government spending? So that's the first piece. And the other one is the U.S. policy being too heavy-handed, which he brings up. 
Yeah, let me go into that. So first of all, just to recap, we started off with China is trying to take down the dollar as the preeminent currency. And they've been doing this. This is the first country in Latin America that they've done this with. But they've done this with Pakistan. They've done this with Saudi Arabia. They're doing this with other countries. They've done it with Russia. Russia, of course. Yeah. But in February, when Russia invaded Ukraine, the United States took a lot of actions against Russia in terms of economic sanctions and very heavy-handed, basically using their clout to try to destroy the Russian economy. And they, they took them off the SWIFT system, which is almost what we were talking about. So which, if you're wiring money from one country to another, it gets converted to dollars first. The SWIFT system is that system that's run by the United States. They said, Russia, you can't use that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that does that have effects with their oligarchs and all everybody else? It has effects with everybody, the way they do business, the way money gets transferred back and forth. And if you're a country that's, you know, where the U.S. is using sanctions as a threat all the time, which never work. I mean, I can't remember, you know, at my age, I don't remember when sanctions have ever worked and like gotten somebody to do anything. They don't seem to have worked on North Korea. Iran is still in place. Fidel Castro or the Castro regime in Cuba. Saddam Hussein. Yeah, Saddam Hussein. Sanctions do nothing, but all it does is make other countries want to ditch the dollar so they're not so reliant on the United States. But Joe Biden has just been doubling down on that so he can get some short-term political points in the news cycle. And I think the chickens are coming home to roost. He's devalued our dollar. He's gotten all these countries off the dollar. And then in addition to that, his energy policies have put our national security at risk. And when he's emptied out our strategic petroleum reserve, and in, when the gas prices got so bad that politically it was hurting his party, well, then he was forced to have to go to some despotic regimes like Venezuela and Saudi Arabia with his hat in his hands. Well, Saudi Arabia doesn't like Joe Biden very much, do they, Paul? They don't. I mean, as you, the relationship between, while Saudi Arabia had a really good relationship with the Trump administration. Yes. Um, but once Joe Biden came in and, you know, Joe Biden starts to talk, lecture them about human rights and Jamal Khashoggi killing. That was yeah. a thing. He ran on that. And and you can't do any, and we're sanctioning Russia. And if you do any business with Russia, we're sanctioning you. And all of these threatening things, Saudi Arabia is like, well, all right, we'll just, you know, start. China will be our primary partner now. And they recently joined the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which is a, the equivalent of almost not quite NATO, but it's a country of, it's a group of allies with, that includes Pakistan and others. Saudi Arabia joined that after being one of our biggest allies for generations. That had to hurt the Saudis in a way. I mean, they, the affinity that the Arabs have for Western culture, the UK, the US, long-standing allies, but they were put in a box by the Biden administration. Elections have consequences. The Biden administration has destroyed some of our alliances. They're also sitting there right now looking at Israel, which is a topic for another show. And, and Yeah, they're destroying our alliance with Israel. They are. So, I mean, Donald Trump is sitting here with his mugshot soon to be on all of our TV screens going, remember me? Remember what I did for the economy? Remember when Saudi Arabia loved us? Everybody loved the dollar. I mean, this is all boding very well for Donald Trump. I do want to talk about something, though, that... Well, it's boding well for the Republicans. As we've said before... You know, if Joe Biden, who is one of the worst politicians in history, and I don't think anybody knew, thought that he was competent, could beat Donald Trump in 2020, I just don't see how, you know, people would switch and vote for Trump again. I almost feel like whatever Biden does, he'll win just because it's Trump. But if you were to run against, but I think Biden would get his clock cleaned by DeSantis or Glenn Youngkin or Nikki Haley or anybody, any other Republican. Agreed. It's one of those Republicans, we've mentioned him already on this show, is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. You mentioned some of the legislation that, that he's gotten passed. And in this session, he's been hitting home run after home run. It's like watching Aaron Judge sitting at, at a state house. DeSantis has proposed a new proposal just last week related to cryptocurrency, a central bank. Yeah, central bank digital currency. Yeah. Yes. And so th there is a lot of feeling that based on what's going on with 
China and, you know, all these countries getting off the dollar, that maybe the United States could shift to a central bank digital currency, so sort of like a crypto dollar. And Ron DeSantis is proposing a law that says that Florida consumers and businesses will not be forced to accept or use within the state a central bank digital currency. The ramifications of this, if we were to go to this, are pretty crazy, Paul. I mean, it could lead to more tyranny if if we go to it. And of course, that's what the elites want, right? Yeah, I mean, having a central bank digital currency would essentially make every dollar completely traceable. So whether you're overseas, you know, other countries that are holding dollars or Americans here at home, you can no longer put that money under your mattress. Remember what happened in Canada where Justin Trudeau took the the money from the truckers convoy and wouldn't let them just shut down the froze their bank accounts, wouldn't let them do anything. This becomes one of those situations where at the drop of a hat, the Federal Reserve could just take all your money and keep you from spending. Now you've got to go to a bank and get a court order and you possess that dollar. But once it's a central bank digital currency, there's a lot of questions out there. Is that in your possession or is that really just something that the government out of their good graces is letting you use? And it's scary to go on something like that. I don't, I don't see what the point is and I feel like it's going to make slaves out of everybody. It absolutely could. I don't think people like Jeff Bezos will suffer too much uh, because, again, the, he'll own all the robots. He'll own everything. But you're already seeing massive in- income inequality in places like California and other places. And, yeah, people will be beholden to the elites. Um, and you mentioned the, the trucker convoy and, and what happened there. I mean, look at what happened during COVID. People who had voiced their opinions or even voiced facts about vaccines or masks or whatever that, you know, things that were controversial maybe in 2020 or 2021 that are now just accepted as fact in 2023, they lost their platforms. In some cases, they lost their jobs and their livelihoods. I don't want Joe Biden or or some elite controlling my money and shutting down my life because I exercise my constitutional rights, but that's exactly what could happen if they control all the money. It's this whole opinion of this heavy-handed government, and there's just such a movement now on the left that the government knows better than everybody else. They can be heavy-handed. They're the elites. Little people don't understand anything. And they have this vision of how they can remake society, and it's not good for people. It's just going to take away more freedom. And, you know, we haven't, at this point, it's been studied. No one's really announced it. I think there would have to be some sort of act of Congress. So I'm not really sure whether the central bank digital currency will happen. But I know other countries like China's studying it and using it. And if that becomes an efficient means of payment, of course, China doesn't care about freedom, right? But if that becomes an efficient means... Well, they're already doing things like this. I mean, you in China... You know, if your social credit score, which, by the way, they're already sort of putting in here, if we're being quite honest, look at people getting canceled left and right for having. Well, we have a social credit score. Liberal, your social, your score is high. Conservative, it's low. <laughs> yeah, but don't think for a minute that we don't have some form of that here. But in China, if your score is not high enough, you can't get loans. You can't buy certain things. You can't get plane tickets. You can't get on a train. And so, yeah, China loves a system like that. And I I think that the Democrats would love something like that here as well. There's nothing democratic about the Democratic Party. And they, uh, Ron DeSantis is once again ahead of the curve on this, trying to get this legislation passed in Florida. I think it will pass. And I think every other GOP governor and legislative body should follow suit. I kind of like having greenbacks in my wallet and under my pillow, Paul. I do too. I mean, what do you do with the, with the tooth fairy, like with our kids? I mean, what do you, <laughs> oh, you now have a central bank digital currency deposited in the sky for you from the tooth fairy? Put, if you lose it, put your, put your tooth under your pillow. And then when they, yeah, I mean, what you have to put a, a brand new tablet under there where they can go, oh, look at what you, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> just that alone makes the central bank digital currency. Not practical. A a bad idea. 
Right. 100%. Can I say, you know, something else about China and some of these, you know, we we're talking about these yeah. sanctions and ditching the dollar. I saw another piece come up just as we were talking because I started to look around a little bit more to see what else, what other moves China was making this week. They actually struck a deal with a French company to sell natural gas to, I believe it's Total, Total, which is a big French oil company, hmm. to sell natural gas to this French company, to France, using the yuan, where it's oil historically has always been exchanged in dollars. Um, and I think this is the first time in Europe, in Western Europe, in France, where natural gas is going to be traded between yuan and euros directly, right? And that's scary because that's creeping into Western Europe. And that's, that causes a big problem. What's even worse about that is, wait a second, how is China selling natural gas? They don't make natural gas and export it. Well, where do you think they're getting that? Yeah, where do you think that's from? That's Russian natural gas. There are a lot of NATO countries. I mean, it, France is now buying Russia, Russian natural gas, it would appear, with Chinese currency. And they're saying, well, we're getting it from China, so we're not buying Russian natural gas. And remember, they put a price cap on Russian natural gas, right? So that it could only be sold at, or whatever, oil and gas, there's a price cap. So let's say China buys it from Russia at a discount and then sells it to France at the regular market price and China gets this markup. Yeah. It's hard to, this whole thing is, is crazy. Yeah, and this is all happening while Americans are completely, the news of the week, unfortunately, we're gonna to get to that here in our next segment was all about, you know, TikTok hearings and this, this transgender terrorist who, who went in and murdered six people. But all of this other stuff, you, you really have to be listening, you know, reading the Wall Street Journal or getting financial news to see it. Most Americans are completely oblivious. They have no idea how much Joe Biden has damaged our economic standing. And it, it's, it won't be long, Paul, before they figure out too late that, we've lost our position as the top dog economically. And they're getting us, and they're, the Biden administration, the mainstream media is purposely trying to, you know, keep talking about Trump and the indictment and, and trans issues and, and all of these kinds of things to distract the American people from these real issues. This is the, this last week or two is the week that China is really rising as a superpower. Things have changed in the last couple of weeks. China's making a lot of moves, and China's two peer competitors, Russia and the United States, are massively depleting their arms stocks. So China could make the big move here in the next year or two, and there would be nobody to stop them because of, well, elections have consequences. Well, when we come back, we are going to talk about the horrible tragedy in Nashville and also some things about society writ large. It's time to start calling out this transgender social contagion for what it is. And we will do that next on The Midnight Ride. Paul, the reason we do this show is, is to talk about these sorts of issues. That last segment, I, I hope more and more people listen to The Midnight Ride and shows like us that point out those issues, because if you don't hear about these sorts of things, you can't make informed decisions. I mean, the, the issues that most voters care about really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. But this next, uh, this next topic really does. And the thing that really, really gets, gets my gander is when people say, oh, Connor, you're just talking about culture war, culture war, culture war. You mean like when I say that to you? <laughs> yeah, but... Our culture is so critical. Our culture was so critical to building this shining city. And as it dilutes and gets polluted, it can have catastrophic consequences. We saw that last week in Nashville. Uh, you probably were landing at the airport when this young lady who we will not name murdered six Americans, six beautiful souls down there at that Christian school in Nashville. Y your thoughts on this? It was one of the most terrific things I've seen. Uh, unfortunately, we're getting a little numb to these kinds of events. Um, it was awful. I saw the video, which I don't think should have been played. I think that 
we're giving this stuff so much publicity. It's creating copycats and it's all over social media. Um, but people, especially in the mainstream media. Well, I, I do like the fact that they show them playing and show the person getting taken down. I mean, for anybody that that thinks that they could do something like this, the Adam Lanza guy, I, I think, is still alive, or was he killed? I don't remember. Some of these people actually survive. And the Uvalde, the piece of scum that murdered all those people in Uvalde, the cops did not show the same courage as this former Marine and this other police officer who were at light speed. They got there so fast. And, and that did give me a little bit of hope that some of these things can can be prevented in the future or at least mitigated somewhat. But seeing the face of that little pastor's daughter and her father and the custodial engineer and, and thinking about his family and the principal and all these people, the heroism of the principal. It's just, yeah, you want to cry, but you can't because you've seen it before. You've seen this movie before. Exactly. And I don't understand exactly what makes this unique and that we're seeing a trend is that she had said that she was transgender. And I don't understand exactly, you know, this is the third, I think, mass shooting recently that's been done by somebody that's transgender. Am I right? Well, I think it's the fourth. If So there was the gentleman in, was it either Colorado Springs or Denver that identified as non-binary? You had a transgender shooter in Aberdeen, right? Yeah. So, and I think the other one was transgender in Colorado Springs or Denver, and now this one. So that's that's four. I don't think that, you know, this is necessarily, I mean, it's a more recent trend where some of these mass shooters have actually been uh, identified as something other than the truth. But what I do think is concerning is not so much these mass shootings, but the rhetoric we're hearing, all of these states are taking action now. We talked about, while you were gone, I talked about some of these bills that are passing. And there's one in, actually in Nebraska that they're trying to pass. Um, Florida just passed one that protects children from these permanent life-altering sterilization surgeries. But the rhetoric on the left is like, you're going to have blood on your hands. There's going to be all these suicides. And this is genocide genocide. And this is widely used in the leftist vernacular. Well, if you're a young, troubled teenager or young adult with a brain that isn't fully formed, you know, a 21-year-old, 23-year-old, and you hear these Christians are committing genocide, these right-wingers want to eliminate you from the planet, well, something like this would appear to be the natural result of that. Well, exactly. They're falling to the propaganda. Wasn't there like a transgender day of vengeance or something? Yes. That was going around around this. Do you have info on that? Or should I look that up? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, there, there was. So apparently that has been called off. But before, well before this shooting, there was a group, a, a transgender group that called for a transgender day of vengeance. And I noticed it on Twitter. This was a rally that was supposed to happen on the steps of the Supreme Court. And the organizers said that they, you know, wanted to have a, a day of vengeance, you know, and I don't know what that means. The flyers actually said, stop transgenocide. We need more than visibility. I mean, read between the lines there, Paul. Yeah, that looks to me like uh, something that, you know, is very scary. And what I'm trying to figure out is what is the trans genocide they're talking about? What genocide is being committed against people in the transgender community? I mean, I can tell you, you know, among people in the conservative movement aren't trying to kill people that are transgender or, or aren't passing rules to kill people that are transgender. I think People have no issue with people that are transgender. They just... Maybe they should have an issue with the the whole social contagion, not necessarily a troubled youth that is that is going through some tough times in their youth and it's being taken advantage of. No, but I mean, with, with some exceptions, I mean, let's be honest, with some exceptions, there. I mean, there have been some acts of violence over the last 
four or five decades. But with there's actual genocide that has been going on, 60 million-plus Americans murdered in the womb. I don't see a lot of people going out and committing mass shootings at these clinics. I mean, there have been a couple of exceptions where there have been firebombings or whatever, and I'm talking about over the past six or seven decades. But no, this is, they are masters of messaging. They are masters of using words to evoke emotions, in some cases, violent emotions. And this is part of their playbook, which is to get these young people riled up and angry. And we have seen this with the growth of Antifa in the Pacific Northwest, and really in American cities all across the country where you see these groups coming out and committing acts of violence against people who, for example, take issue with you undressing in front of their daughter in a health club in Los Angeles or in a YMCA in Santee, California. I mean, this is going on and has been going on, but now people are dying as a result of it, Paul. Well, they are, and it's something where no one is talking about really what transgenderism is. It's different than being gay, which is just a different sort of lifestyle. We can call it a lifestyle, but there are many people who believe, and I, I tend to believe. Transgenderism is not a lifestyle. That's changing your anatomical sex. Well, but I mean, some people would say that, that homosexuality is not a lifestyle, that you are born into that. Well, that's what I think. I mean, it's a lifestyle that you're born into, right? That's what I think. Agree. And, and, I, and I think that it's, you know, and, and I think anybody has the right to live they the way they want to live, right? And if you want to be, you want to change your gender or whatever it is, go ahead, live however you want to do it. But it's not appropriate for children. I think people should look into what is causing this. Is this like a scientific thing? Is it a mental illness? Yeah. People that are bullied or don't fit in and then decide that they're going to become transgender and so many people that want to transition back. I have a, I have a theory on this. I mean, if you were to look at the numbers of homosexuals over the last century, I don't think you would see a huge increase because again, I think it's something that people are born into. But transgenderism, there has been a 1,000% or more increase. And I think you just hit the nail on the head, Paul. You have people who have in their hands a Chinese psychological weapon called TikTok that they look at for 12 hours a day that is pushing this. This algorithm is pushing this. And I talked about it while you were gone. They are pushing this, this idea, this critical race theory and all this stuff that creates a hierarchy of oppression. And at the bottom of that pyramid are... Caucasian Americans. It's not a good place to be. You're getting blamed for everything. Check your privilege. This space is for BIPOC or whatever the case may be. These young people. Toxic masculinity, right? Toxic masculinity, all of it. The whiteness. <laughs> yeah. And, and these kids, you know, socially, they, they're a few years younger than they actually are because they lost a couple years due to remote schooling and everything else. But they get out there and it's like, you don't get to talk because you're a white person or whatever. Well, how do you resolve that and go from the bottom to the top with the snap of a finger? You know, I have a friend in Los Angeles, right? I used to live out there. They are super liberal. They live on the west side of LA. They're in that sort of latte sipping. Do you want to answer my question though real quick? How do you go from the bottom to the top? Oh, how do you go from the bottom to the top? You identify as non-binary or trans. And now all of a sudden you have a seat at the table. You're at the top of the victimhood hierarchy. Back to your friend. Well, speaking of someone that went from the bottom to the top, um, <laughs> did you hear about this weightlifter in Canada? <laughs> that No, but, but uh, I, I've known you for so long that I know this is going to be good. So there's this guy in Canada, a uh, weightlifter, right? And, you know, decent weightlifter competes. And the Canadian uh, Weightlifting Association changed their rules to say that, that based on, you're either in the men's category for weightlifting or the women's category based on how you identify, not based on what your sex is. So the day before a, this women's competition, this guy said, I now identify as a woman. He went to the competition in his beard, dressed as a guy, <laughs> Clearly a man, not pretend, you know, acting like a man, but saying I identify as a woman. 
and set the Canadian women's uh, bench press record and is now that record holder. Yeah. And it was just a straight up guy. And then the next day he identified back as a man again. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what needs to happen. That, that's, that's what needs to happen to point out the absurdity of it all. And we've, you know, our pinned tweet is this one that we talk about the next time Leah Thomas jumps into a swimming pool, the seven actual women that are on the blocks next to her, when the gun goes off, they don't jump. Let him finish the race on his own. But you need the Bethany Hamiltons of the World Surf League and, and some of the, you know, if Serena Williams were to say, there's no such thing as, you know, men trapped inside women's body. And if they are, she said that, you know, somebody said, could you beat this player who was ranked number 203 in the world on the men's side? She said, no, he beat me six love, six love. That guy serves like a hundred and some, you know, 200 miles an hour. It's destroying women's sports, the absurdity of it. So I like this Canadian guy doing that. I think more Canadian athletes should do it. But I also think that we need American athletes, active athletes. Martina Navratilova has come out against it, but we need active athletes to say no more. This is ridiculous. Completely, without a doubt. And the only way this is going to happen is if people open up to other opinions and other views and everybody's getting siloed through TikTok. And unfortunately, nobody is going to look at the other side at this point. I have, I was going back to that story of my friend in LA, his daughter, you know, they are super liberal, complete, you know, as coastally lib as you can get. And I was like, so where, where's your daughter going to go to college? And he was giving me some ideas of some places. I said, well, what about some places in the South, like Vanderbilt or whatever? And she goes, she will not. The new college of Florida. <laughs> yeah. New college, of Florida, Hillsdale. No, she will not. They don't want her exposed to any school that has any form of, you know, diversity Free thought. of thought. Yeah. Right? Every, everything has to be fully left-wing indoctrination, period. So, you know, you're not even, if you're not exposed to other ideas, you're never going to have other ideas because you're not all of a sudden going to become conservative in a vacuum if the only thing you see is trans people and, and war on whiteness and uh, communism. We have got to get her phone and slip in a PragerU text here or there. Uh, this is sad. I mean, this is really sad. And, and you mentioned the echo chambers. Listen, we feel for these kids. You're not going to see one of the Runyon or Coughlin kids suddenly declare that they are, you know, non-binary or, or this or that, right? This is the luxury handbag of the liberal elites. But it's so bad for our society. It's so bad for these kids. I'm so, you know... Th this past week and the events of Nashville is just so tragic. I, I hope we can come together and have a discussion about the real issues, how to protect these kids from making decisions that will, you know, who knows that that young lady may have said, I can't go back. My life is ruined as so many of these detransitioners do. Let's pray for all of these kids and, and hope that these kids don't make these decisions until they're old enough to know what they're doing to their bodies. Final thoughts, Paul. Well, final thoughts on the week. It's, it's, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Um, it's been quite a week of news. Excited to keep this going. And, you know, when we come back together next week, hopefully we'll have a full indictment that we can read on the New York, on the uh, Midnight Ride. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know the Midnight Riders are happy to have you back, as am I. And we're happy to have you all come along with us. Please continue to give us those five star ratings. Tell your friends, like-minded conservatives, and your, your crazy leftist aunts and friends out in L.A. We'd love to have them listen to the show as well. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they'll come around. Maybe we can save this republic before it's too late. For Paul Runyon, I'm Connor Coughlin. Thank you for joining us on another edition of the Midnight Ride podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>